Vegas White Sox Weekly, your all-access pass to everything White Sox. That baby will go! Lance Lynn with an absolute gem. Welcome in to White Sox Weekly, January 28, 2023, our final show of the month of January, which means our next show is the first in February and the first in a month where the White Sox will actually do some baseball things and in fact, play a baseball game. First game of spring training, February 25th. You'll hear it here on ESPN 1000. Looking forward to it. I'm Connor McKnight. This is White Sox Weekly, of course. Big voice guy even said it. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. And remember, Sox fans, 2023 ticket plans are available right now. We offer a variety of plans. When you lock in today, we'll get flexible payment plans, savings on single games, great seat locations, and more. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash season tickets. Oh, I already forgot something. I, I should have mentioned 312-332-3776, the phone number that I just told you. When you call that number, it was speaking with a young, intrepid, uh, good-looking producer, Charlie Bevins, who is going to pick up your phone call and in a- enable you to talk some baseball with us. Charlie, always a pleasure. How you doing, my friend? I'm great. It's uh, rather cold in the studio right now. I have my parka on, but other than that, doing great. Yeah, out the window, there's uh, a lot of snow. A lot of snow coming down, whether you're uh, downtown on State Street, a little farther north in the Burbs, or all the way up. I guess it's, this is kind of an all-day sort of thing. It's 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 always doing a show like this today, doing White Sox Weekly on a, on a Saturday like this where we are in the snow globe. It always feels weird because I promise... We're getting closer to spring training and baseball games and the sun setting after 4.30 in the afternoon, uh, but it might not feel that way. It might not look that way outside. A lot of stuff to get to today. Um, not all fun, to be honest. Uh, there are this big story um, concerning Mike Clevenger, one of the recent signings of the White Sox. You have likely heard it. It is big baseball news. We'll go through uh, some of the news, some of what we know here in just a little bit. Um, it is a serious story. We'll also talk about some American League Central rumors. We'll talk about the Hall of Fame. We'll hear from Aloy Jimenez and his insistence that he can be a right fielder, perhaps as early as this year. Uh, Got some news in and around the game as we approach spring training. uh, There are spring training invites announced by the White Sox that I want to go through. A couple of names that might be interesting. We might talk a little World Baseball Classic or at least allude to it one way or the other. Uh, But I saw some big news posted by the White Sox just a couple of days ago. I retweeted it myself, at C1 McKnight, uh, and it is on the television side. You might remember last week we started the show by wishing happy birthday to Len Casper, our bud, our pal. Uh, This also concerns the play-by-play team. But on the television side, they're friends, uh, and we have Jason on the show every now and again. Love to talk to Steve Stone as well. Uh, I've been lucky enough to work with the both of them on the TV side of things, neither could be nicer guys, neither could be more knowledgeable at the job that they do. But the White Sox announced, and this is great news for White Sox fans, I think, and for really those around the game who just enjoy sitting down and hearing two guys who know baseball, talk a little baseball. The White Sox announced the extension, uh, a multi-year option rather for Jason Benetti 
And Steve Stone gets a multi-year extension as well. So while we encourage you and love that you listen to Len and DJ on the radio side of things, and we love you like family, we understand that baseball's a sport people want want to watch, and those two are as good as they get in this game on the TV side of things. And by the way, having Len sliding over to the TV side every now and again isn't such a bad broadcast either. Uh, so, awesome. Awesome stuff for the both of them. And I, I just, you know, worth noting too, I think we, I may have been out um, kind of awaiting or, or, or as, as you may or may not know, uh, I, my, my wife had our first child a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so I spent some time away from White Sox Weekly. And I don't think we had a chance here on the show or I had a chance here on the show to congratulate a, a, a colleague, I suppose, a Hall of Famer now, Pat Hughes, the play-by-play man for the Chicago Cubs for over 25 years, close to 30, I believe, um, was named the Ford C. Frick Award winner for 2023. That is an incredible honor. And, and the reason I bring that up is, one, because I hadn't had a chance to congratulate Pat, at least here, and he absolutely deserves it. He is one of the best in the business, and whether you are a Southside or Northside fan, you have likely caught one of Pat's broadcasts. The pipes couldn't be better, and he's a great teammate to work with as well. He's had a lot of different partners throughout the year, whether it be Ron Santo or what have you. Uh, and the reason I think of that is because Steve Stone, as a broadcaster, now re-signed with the White Sox television side of things, uh, thankfully, is just a, you know, I I grew up learning baseball from Steve Stone, watching him on, on Cubs broadcasts. I grew up learning baseball from Steve Stone the same way that I think lots of generations of baseball fans here in the city of Chicago, learn baseball from Steve Stone. I mean, I grew up and my dad was doing a Steve Stone impersonation before I even really knew who Steve Stone was because he's that big a deal in Chicago baseball, in in national baseball conversation. I've had a chance to talk with Steve a couple of times and I did a game or two with him as well. And just, you know, that the way he works, the way he teaches the game is incredibly impressive. Uh, He was a Ford C. Frick award finalist himself here in 2023, and I, I know he noted it in a couple of different interviews uh, when the list, when the nominees were announced. I will renote it, I guess, if that's a verb. If it's not, I'm verbing it here. I, I believe he is the first analyst to be nominated for the Ford C. Frick Award. The rest are all uh, play-by-play voices, guys who have you know been in that lead chair, been in that one chair. Uh, Steve, uh, being that first um guy nominated as an analyst i think is is kind of cool and, and he's talked about a number of different things about you know that the ford c frick award and kind of opening that thing up it, it used to be once every three years that process has changed some i believe it's every year now that that award comes up for broadcasters and i i would expect that the white Sox fans and, and baseball fans around the country are going to end up seeing steve stone ford c frick award winner at some point here in, in the next couple of years He's just that good at what he does. But that was big news over the last couple of days. Uh, News kind of close to our heart because we work right alongside Steve and Jason in a lot of ways at the ballpark at Guaranteed Rate Field. So it's great to have them back and be kind of, uh, you know, teammates in a way and and awesome for White Sox fans to have them as uh, part and parcel of their broadcasts. Um, Over to, and there is no segue here. This is just kind of a a shift in gears, and you have likely heard the news. It's been discussed uh, in many different places, and it is of a uh, quite serious nature. 
Brittany Grioli and Katie Strang of The Athletic reported this on January 24th. So four days ago, if the math holds. Yeah, four days. Um, And I will read from this piece on The Athletic because I want to make sure that we have it right here. Um, I want to make sure that we go through the, the facts as they've been reported to this point so that you understand, in case you've missed parts of this story, um, so that you understand the details at work here. And I, I should warn you, there are going to be some um, fairly graphic things kind of uh, alluded to here. <sighs> Graphics, not the right word, um, but uh, potentially violent things alluded to here. But this is the news and this is the real world. And unfortunately, uh, this is part of the conversation um, here in late January. This follows from the report in The Athletic. Chicago White Sox pitcher Mike Clevenger is under investigation by Major League Baseball following allegations of domestic violence involving the mother of his 10-year-old daughter um, and child abuse. Olivia Feinstead, the 24-year-old mother of Clevenger's child, told The Athletic Tuesday she has been in contact with individuals from MLB's Department of Investigation since this summer. According to Feinstead, she has detailed to those investigators incidents of physical, verbal, and emotional abuse, including an incident from last June in which Feinstead said Clevenger choked her, and about two weeks later, when she said Clevenger slapped her in a hotel room. A source familiar with MLB's investigation process, and again, this is continuing from a report in The Athletic issued earlier this week. A source familiar with MLB's investigation process confirmed there's an open investigation on Clevenger. The source added that White Sox became aware of the allegations after he was signed. Uh, There is a statement from Finstad which uh, follows thusly, I hope MLB does what they should and puts him in required therapy, perhaps a small suspension, so he can take time to think out why he abuses. Clevenger emphatically denied the allegations. His lawyers, in a statement issued Tuesday evening, he has never harmed Ms. Feinstead or his daughter. We will not comment on Ms. Feinstead's motive for bringing these allegations or baseless threats and accusations over the last few months have regrettably escalated, culminating most recently in deeply disturbing threats toward Mike and Mike's family. Her threats and her pattern of abusive behavior are well documented. The simple truth is that Mike has done nothing wrong. Following in the report, continuing rather from this report, Clevenger, 32, a member of the San Diego Padres pitching staff at the time of these incidents last summer, these alleged incidents last summer, he became a free agent when his contract expired this winter, signed a one-year deal with the White Sox. Here is the statement um, from Major League Baseball, uh, from the White Sox, pardon. Major League Baseball and the Chicago White Sox take any and all allegations very seriously. And the White Sox are completely supportive of the joint domestic violence, sexual assault, and child abuse policy shared by MLB and MLBPA. That's the Players Association. MLB opened an investigation after learning of these allegations. White Sox were not aware of the allegations or the investigation at the time of his signing. White Sox will refrain from comment until MLB's investigative process has reached its conclusion. The Padres issued a statement similarly, aware of MLB's investigation and completely support their efforts under the joint domestic violence, sexual assault, and child abuse policy due to the ongoing investigative process. We, the Padres in this instance, cannot comment further at this time. So those are the particulars here. Uh, more from some reporting that's been done around this, but some details in, in case you've missed them in this conversation. Clevenger was signed by the White Sox to a one-year deal November 29th. We talked a lot about it um, for $8 million. There is a $12 million mutual option next year and a $4 million buyout. And this is this is me talking here. And I want to be you know real clear about where things are coming from and where we're reading them from and, and what we're quoting them from. But this is just me. Uh, there's an emphasis on 
on confidentiality when investigations like this are taking place. And I am far from an expert, believe me, but I, I gather that should in any circumstance, these types of allegations be true with a player or employee in, in the baseball realm or, or other places, there exists a very real possibility that these people in situations like this, unfortunately remain in close contact one another with one another, if these um, situations are going on. So when an investigation like this comes to light, while that's the case, case while um, these uh, these parties are in close contact, there is a potential for more and perhaps even greater harm. And I, I say that because a question has been asked, I think, by a, a lot of, understandably so, by a lot of fans, whether they are of the White Sox or baseball fans in general or, or people who have read this story outside of baseball, why uh, are parties waiting? Whether that's the White Sox, Major League Baseball, Clevenger, um, the accuser, all that kind of stuff. Why, why is it staying where it is? That is at least one issue um, that I think is pushing forward, that, that is worth pushing forward or worth uh, understanding, I suppose. So there is an investigation underway by Major League Baseball. Um, here's what's likely to happen next, because as as we you know kind of report the facts and, and look at what has happened up to this point, what's next is an obvious question. But these are serious topics and sports is real life, real people. This is more real than usual uh, at the center of these allegations is a child that needs care and consideration. And I hope that we all uh, remember that as as much as we possibly can, as many questions as you may have um, uh, about player, team, uh, what happens next, all this other kind of stuff. Um, to that end, though, James Fegan of The Athletic did write this, and I, I think it's a, a well-reported part of this piece, available to the uh, disciplinary action of Major League Baseball's commissioner and indeed the teams is a thing called non-disciplinary administrative leave. And as James writes, that's an option to keep players away from their teams while investigations are ongoing. Such a move, though, is under the purview of the commissioner and extensions would have to be jointly agreed with Major League Baseball. So the issue here is that any kind of disciplinary move by the White Sox or the league is essentially going to lead to um, a complaint, a, a what would the hmm, uh, an issue with the players association, a grievance. That's the pardon. That's the better word for it. Uh, because as this investigation goes on, um, placing players on any sort of list like that is not uh, feasible through the collective bargaining agreement. So, Fegan kind of concludes in this piece, and I think this is a, a worthwhile point to kind of hold on to as we get closer and closer to the start of spring training. Um, it is unclear, James writes, if administrative leave is a measure the league would take with Clevenger. As the White Sox are three weeks away from the start of spring training, such decisions have been handled on a case-by-case basis, though administrative leave would not be implemented before spring training when no games are being played. Unless a decision on leave is issued by the league, or the investigation reaches a resolution resulting in an unpaid suspension or not, the White Sox commitment to Clevenger, the contract he's referring to here for the year, is binding. So that's the latest. It is a obviously difficult topic. And I think we can say a couple of things about what is coming next, what this means for player and team, as for what this means for you know those involved in the allegations. Obviously, that conversation, I think, belongs to others. 
what we can say definitively is that the White Sox were hoping to have this player as a key figure in the rotation for 2023. And that, that may still happen if, as, as James just noted in his piece, this situation involves uh, potentially multiple um, extensions of, of any sort of suspension, if indeed past this prologue and other situations that have begun like this um, include the way or, or go the way that this, that this goes the way that those have. I'm aware, and I think most baseball fans are as well, that there um, may be more parts to this story being played out in social media and other places. That's not something MLB's investigation has commented on, and nor, nor will they at any point until this um, investigation, I, I would imagine, is concluded one way or the other. I think it is natural and completely fair to feel like this situation may merit more resolution than it has had to this point, but that's not where we're at. And as I've noted, and as um, many reporters have noted, that's not how MLB and the Players Association work in these types of cases in the past. And that's you know part of the reason we've, we've kind of talked the way we have about what's going on here with the team and with the player. There will be questions. Um, and, and there will be questions once spring training starts. As I mentioned, pitchers and catchers due to report Glendale February 15th, the first full squad workout is the 20th. Um, it is, as I mentioned in, in James Fegan piece, unclear um, what may happen next with Clevenger. But uh, any of that rests in the power of Major League Baseball or with the power of Major League Baseball and the commissioner's office. So that's where this situation sits right now. It is obviously a very large story and an important one. Those are the facts as we understand them. And uh, we wanted to talk through them with you to get a better understanding uh, to you in case you'd missed parts of this story. I'm Connor McKnight. There's more White Sox Weekly on the other side. You're listening to ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's home for sports. On app. The ESPN Chicago app. In HD. FM 100.3 HD2. And of course on AM. ESPN 1000. This is White Sox Weekly. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight, ESPN 1000. White Sox fans, you ought to know that you can become a White Sox insider today for sweepstakes, special offers, the Friday Five, pre-sales, and other exciting Sox content delivered free to your inbox. Visit whitesox.com slash insider today. Yeah, one of the conversations that has been going back and forth between, uh, let's see, let's see if we can get all the, all the parties involved here. Uh, manager, player, fans, reporters, and, and all, all points in between has been surrounding Aloy Jimenez, the position of left and or right field. Oh, I guess you could lump Andrew Benintendi into this conversation too, because it is his signing that has kind of prompted some of these questions. And I find, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of parts of this conversation, a lot of sides of it. I've seen some of it on Twitter, and I can't help but smile, and I'll tell you why. But first, I want you to hear a little bit from Aloy Jimenez. Remember, for the background of this, obviously, Aloy has played left field for the White Sox a lot when healthy for the past couple of years. Last year, uh, because of the injury he'd suffered, he had to spend most, if not all, of the second half, well, most, as the DH for the White Sox. He excelled in that position in the second half of 2022. In the second half of the year, he was one of the five best hitters in the American League. Is that kind of good? 
Now, though, with the White Sox having signed Andrew Benintendi, and he's going to be your full-time left fielder, Pedro Grafal mentioned that when he introduced Benintendi to the media after Benintendi signed the five-year $75 million contract, Aloy Jimenez is looking for a new place to play defense. If he is going to play defense, designated hitter seems to be the place that he fits best in the roster, or, or, or in the lineup, I should say providing as good an outfield defensively as you can, having a guy like, uh, and we'll talk about Oscar Colas a little bit later on in the show, or Gavin Sheets, or another outfielder that rises, Jake Marisnik with Sando O'Malley, all of those kinds of things are out there, right? Defensively speaking. Lois bat in the lineup, though, is absolutely crucial for the White Sox in 2023. He has been since he made his debut, to be quite honest with you. The guy is the dude that has the 40 home run plus potential in the lineup, he is going to be counted on, I think, in 2023 as much as anyone else to make up for the absence of Jose Abreu. Obviously, Andrew Vaughn is going to have to do that. He's the first baseman that's that's taking over that position. But in terms of the offensive production, the run scoring, the on-base percentage, the the power threat, you know, the guy that you have to plan around if the opposing starting pitcher, as much as anybody else, probably ought to be, or at least at, at the White Sox' best potential, Oloy Jimenez. So, all that considered, there had been a little bit of conversation after Pedro Grafal mentioned that he told Aloy Jimenez to be ready in right field. And everybody kind of went, oh, right field? Well, he'd spent about 110, 111, 119 games in his minor league career, and I believe most of it with the Cubs playing right field, some with, with the White Sox, but most you know, prior to the trade of of Jose Quintana bringing Aloy and Dylan Cease over to the White Sox. So there's some right field in his past, but I didn't see this as anything other than a manager saying, listen, you know, kind of out without saying the quiet part out loud, Aloy Jimenez can play the outfield. He has played left in the past. He has played right in the past. And looking at the roster the way it stands right now, we can't have Aloy Jimenez not be ready to play the outfield if we need him to be able to play the outfield, that's just a roster spot that, that's not being used to its full potential. At least, that's kind of how I saw it. Now, from Jimenez's perspective, it's not quite that. It's a little bit different, and I don't fault him one bit for it. Here's just a little bit about Jimenez, or from Jimenez, about playing the outfield. I'm really preparing myself right now to play in the outfield. Last year, it was... I was in a situation that I need to DH more than play outfield, but this year I'm really preparing myself to play more games in the outfield than DH. A little bit more here, and this is kind of, you know, if you know, and you have, you've seen Jimenez's personality, whether it's high mom or smiling at the camera or just kind of being that guy um, when he's out there, when he's in uniform for the White Sox, he is, um, he does not lack in, in confidence. And I think that is a key part to his success. Here's more. I'm going to give you a surprise, so you, I'm not going to answer right now. You're going to see me in spring training. Okay, that sounds mysterious. Uh, so you, you're going to come in a little bit uh, perhaps lighter. I mean, sometimes guys come in heavier. Sometimes you come in lighter. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's going to be a surprise. I can't wait. Yeah, me neither. It's good. Uh, it feels really good. Uh, I've been working hard in every part. Uh, and I feel uh, really good. Uh, I think this year is going to be a really good year uh, because if I I can still like I can be healthy 
uh, I know I I can do a lot of things, you know. So I'm really working hard uh, every single day to play more games and uh, help the team. So that's Aloy. And the reporter's voice you heard in that is Daryl Van Scallen, who does a hell of a job covering the White Sox for the uh, Chicago Sun-Times, has for a while. I, I think, you know, a couple of things. I can't wait to see the surprise that Jimenez has cooked up for spring training. I have no idea what it is. I hope it's like a big fuzzy hat or something. Uh, maybe it's like a cool new ride. It is also, you know, I think important to remember. And, and what I thought about is he's kind of talking about the importance of, you know, his being in shape, that he's got big plans for this season, that he, that he expects big things. That all makes perfect sense to me because that's the conversation we were having around Aloy Jimenez two years ago when he had the unfortunate um, desire to go up and over a wall and try and take back a home run ball that cost him the first half of the season. He had the issue, uh, hamstring issue last year that cost him 80-something games. And and after that particular injury, the, the one last year, I remember Rick Hahn, White Sox general manager, kind of addressing that with, with White Sox beat reporters in, in kind of a conversation about updating the injury itself. That that particular hamstring issue, you know, kind of right behind where the knee, it, it results in a new normal, you know, having to find what the new normal is on that leg. Um, you're going to, and, and Eloy did, have some some barks, right? There's going to be a couple times where it grabs at you. I think there was one after a swing where he, you know, backed out of the batter's box and walked around some, stumbled a little bit. It just didn't it didn't look good, but he was fine. Played the next day, if memory serves. Maybe the White Sox had an off day, and then he was back another day after that. Even still, what it what it makes me wonder is if, and I'm sure Jimenez will be asked this once we, you know, get under the get get games underway. Um, of course. Aloy's presence in spring training is going to be a little bifurcated because of the World Baseball Classic. More on that in a little bit. But once he gets into that you know, kind of baseball activity, I, I wonder if he's talking about having found that new normal, you know, kind of established and understood in his brain uh, and, and with muscle memory kind of what that is in that knee. That would be good, you know, obviously. That would be huge for this White Sox lineup because, as, as I mentioned earlier, a lot revolves around Jimenez in 2023, the way the White Sox kind of are constructed. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Jimenez in that 3-4 spot, you know, maybe that 3 spot where Abreu had been for a while. I think you could do a lot worse in this league than a top three of Tim Anderson. Right-handed bat, takes a lot the other way, ton of speed at the top of the lineup. Andrew Benintendi, an excellent left-hander, high contact value, some pop that he's looking to return. And then Eloy Jimenez as a 1-2-3 a that's a pretty good start to your ball game um, with a lot of kind of, you know, contact heavy co- approach in both Anderson and Benintendi, but not necessarily the same way. And then Jimenez with all that kind of power and a still pretty decent contact. So I mean, you're going to have some strikeouts, but that's still a, a decent contact ability to kind of like the way that sets up. And then Pedro Grafal will have, you know, Andrew Vaughn uh, to mix in to um, all of that one, two, three, four kind of thing to say nothing of where Luis Robert may or may not hit. We kind of saw him bounce a little bit, find himself as a, as a six hitter for a little while, get up to the two spot at times last year. It's another guy whose who's health obviously will be key for the White Sox 
in 2023. Saw some rumors pop up the other day uh, about the White Sox and another AL Central team. Mentioned twice now the World Baseball Classic, so I want to get to that. There are some spring training invites and the World Baseball Classic that kind of come together as a news story or at least a uh, a topic of conversation as we get closer and closer to spring training. So that's where we're headed next. This is White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight on ESPN 1000. We are talking White Sox. This is White Sox Weekly. If you missed the show, we put the podcast up on the ESPN Chicago app. So listen on your time. White, White Sox, Sox Weekly. Weekly. ESPN Chicago. Chicago's home for sports. Sox fans, if you're planning a special occasion and looking for the perfect location, we've got you covered. When you reserve your group outing for 2023, you get priority access to the biggest matchups and the best space for your group. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash groups. This is White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight, 312-332-3776. That is the phone number. I almost ended the commercial break early. Because Charlie, our producer, let me know that Ron on the south side is on the phone. This is truly the first sign of spring. It is Ron on the south side on White Sox Weekly. What is up, Ron? How you been? Hey, man. Miss you guys. You know. So, hey, this let's get right to it. It won't be long, Connors. And, and, and miss you being off here for a while. So, I'm going to get to my point. Uh, regarding Eloy, you know what? See, some what's not really the focus on when he said no more DH. Even if he had said kind of, okay, you know, a little DH, a little right field, but it's almost like exclusive, you know, I'm playing right field. So, but here's the thing. People do not realize the importance of outfield defense. It's not just mm-hmm. getting to the balls hitting in the air. And mm-hmm. now, with the shift being eliminated, they're going to be more ground balls. But see, outfielders do more than catch the ball. You have to get to those balls that come to the outfield. You have to throw to the correct uh, base. And and let me this is the last thing, kind of the team that won the division that what eleven games, Cleveland, mm-hmm. three Gold Gloves, left field. Yep. See, we we center field. In second base, so we don't put the White Sox were terrible in in defense. So uh, I'm so looking forward to uh, Andrew Benintendi, a smart player. I mean, offensively and defensively, but uh, no, we have to upgrade the defense. So that's it. Well, you know what kind of I'm looking forward to this for what what eight next nine wants to be able to talk to you about White Sox baseball. Have a good day, Connor. You got it, Ron. Always great to talk with you. I, I Listen, I, Ron, I think you're 100% right. I think you and I have been talking about this for 10 years. Out, outfield defense um, often goes under-talked about when, when we kind of talk about what it takes to win ball games. And you put it really well there. They're going to ban the shift this year. And I... I don't care for it, but that's the world we live in, and I guess I'll have to get used to it. There's going to be two guys on either side of second base, and both infielders, uh, or all four infielders, must begin play with their feet on the dirt. Those are the restrictions. That means that outfielders, if, if they're deployed usually, you know, left, center, and right, that whole kind of setup, they've got more ground they have to cover, you know, stuff down the lines, uh, part, not in the gap, uh, ground, hard-hit ground balls, all that kind of stuff. That is now on the outfielder. They must 
get to that ball. There isn't that deep, you know, kind of short right fielder that we've often seen as a second baseman drops back there. Sometimes they pull the third baseman around and let the shortstop have the entire left side of the infield, all that kind of stuff. You've got to make those plays. Darren Jackson, who, you know, obviously is is on our air and and does an amazing job, former outfielder himself, a, a really good one, talks all the time about the importance of hitting the cutoff man and getting the ball in quickly, throwing to a base aggressively. He, he mentioned it, and I was a coming up you know, as, a, as a bad you know, high school baseball player. I, I stayed in the infield or pitched. I, was, I am a garbage outfielder, just terrible. So I, didn't, I never got taught these lessons because coaches immediately saw Connor McKnight and were like, Let's keep, keep him out of the outfield. That's just going to – those are triples. So learning outfield play was mostly just me talking with DJ. That's kind of how I figured things out. And he talks a lot. You get that ball in quick. You throw a strike immediately. Do it in spring training, he'll say. And you'll let guys know you can't run on this. I'm coming up and I'm firing. And it doesn't matter how great, well, it matters less how good of an arm you have if you're coming up quickly, firing to the base, and letting them know that this is not happening on my watch. You'd be really surprised how psychological that part of the game can be um, more than more so than the the rest of the physical traits that 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 those positions um, necessitate. So that's absolutely huge, and and I think too, you know, there there is a responsibility because Ron mentioned you know kind of the, the DH versus right field thing that we're kind of talking about with Aloy Jimenez here. It is not by any stretch of the imagination within the realm of of necessity for Aloy Jimenez to say, well, all right, I'll be a DH. You know what I mean? Like take take that, let them take that from you. Let make them take your, you know, go out there and prepare this offseason, and it sounds like he has, prepare this offseason to be the best right fielder you can possibly be. Make them make that roster decision. Force them to re-investigate uh, whether or not you're a guy that can be out there and make that kind of play. Because that, that, sort of, that sort of push, that sort of hunger, that sort of, uh, that, that, that sort of roster kind of cognizance is something that, that forces hard decisions by front offices. And that is a good thing to do. It's a good thing to have too many tough choices to make because that means you've got a lot of talent that you can spread around the diamond, or at least you know, that is the hope. We'll see what eventually ends up being you know, kind of the outfield alignment. I, I would be, personally speaking, surprised to see it pl- play out that way. However, you know, having that option available to you, guys get hurt. You know, other guys go down. Weird games happen. The Manfred man is still going to be on second base in extra innings for some unknown reason, but we're going to do it, which means probably fewer extra inning games. But that doesn't mean you couldn't get to something in the 15th where you've used a lot of players. And if it's a night where Aloy had the night off to begin with and you haven't used him yet and you don't get that run in or maybe you tie it up, you, you need to be able to have him go out to the outfield. And if that has to be right, then it has to be right. Um, so I, I think all those things matter. And I think Ron puts it pretty well. One more phone call here before we take a break. Uh, downtown, it is Jim on White Sox Weekly. What's up, Jim? Hi, Connor. I agree with you about uh, him and as I thought right field for him right away. But anyway, the three, what I call them, the three changes in the game to me changes the game dramatically. And one, I heard Adonis say from the Brewers that the base looked like a pizza box to him. So my point being, I'm thinking back to Louis Aparicio and Mm, Ricky Henderson and Maury Wills. When you see a bigger base, 
you is it a tendency to take an extra base? Will stealing become more prevalent in the game? Where really defense really comes into play. Just those three things. If we could touch, but the bigger base, if we could touch on that a little bit. And home plate's not bigger, is it, than the other no, bases? No, no, no. Oh, home yeah, plate's not going to be any bigger. I was, no. I was going to say that would really change the game dramatically, yeah, right? But anyway, uh, if you, I'll take it up the air. But if you could just talk about the bases, the bigger bases. What do you think the a base running? Uh, yeah, you know, the, the swifter men in the game will do. Thank you, Connor. Absolutely, Jim. Appreciate you. So. I've read a lot about this because I think it's absolutely fascinating. The Major League Baseball is changing the size of the base. I believe it's increasing by three inches on either side, right? So from 15 by 15 to 18 by 18. And the, the predominant reason for this is because it's safer. It gives guys more areas to slide in. White Sox fans remember well a collision at second base that cost Luis Robert a lot of time. Perhaps if he had more space available to him to slide, there's a place to put a hand. There's another spot to go at that knee. Um, an infielder doesn't have to be in the same spot. You know, all these kinds of things are, are possible, and that's what MLB is hoping to promote. I do think that by cutting down the size of the base path, by making the bases just a little bit bigger, you could see more stolen bases. But that's not the change that I think is going to drastically alter the way we look at stolen bases in Major League Baseball. Up until this point, and it's kind of a, I don't know. It's kind of an easy criticism of, of sabermetrics if you want to have one. It, that, that sort of analytical approach to the game, which I am admittedly a part of. I, I really like using analytics and sabermetrics to evaluate the game, to understand it better, because that's what major or that's what modern front offices do and how they, how they evaluate their own players. Um, but it has devalued the stolen base. You got to be really good at stealing bases in order to make it worthwhile. So, this diff, this change, the, the new rule that is now in play, not the bigger bases, but instead the fact that a pitcher can only disengage with the rubber twice. That's step off the pitching rubber. With a runner on, you can only do it twice before you have to throw over on the third time, and you got to get him. That completely changes the game. That absolutely alters it. Obviously, the pitch clock is going to change that some too. There's a lot of conversation about okay, if it's tick, if the guy's taking it all the way down to one, can't you just go knowing he has to come home with the ball? Sure, I think we'll watch some of that play out. Hasn't been the case in a lot of minor league ball where that's that's been in play, but it does exist. Now, I, I think it's the idea that pitchers have a limited number of times they're avail- they're able to step off the rubber before having to throw over that is going to absolutely change the game theory of who's running, when they're running, and how successful they can be in taking second base and maybe even third too. And I don't know, Jim asked the, the difference that that's going to make on the speedier players in the game. I, I think it'll change some. Maybe the, the fastest of the fast, the best of the best base stealers are, are increasing their totals by I don't know, 15, 20 bases. I don't know. But what I do think, and, and a lot of research has been done into this, a lot of thoughts been done into this by people smarter than I am. Ben Clemens of Fangraphs and uh, Ben Lindbergh, another, has kind of written about this. Um, the, the expectation is, or the possibility is, that the guy's kind of in the middle of the bell curve, the 10 to 15 stolen base sort of guys they may increase their totals by a lot more. You know, they, they could become 25, maybe even 30 bag kind of guys. If, if this rule kind of, you know, if there aren't fits and starts as to guys understanding and playing this rule out and understanding how it's going to work, that, that those guys may see the increase because the opportunity increases so much more for them. 
You know, the, the idea that the safe, the, the ability to be safe just increases that in, in, in such a bigger way that those middle of the road, you know, quote unquote, steel, stolen base guys have a lot more opportunity to take advantage of, of this new rules. So I think it's going to be absolutely fascinating to watch happen. It's going to be one of the top things I'm asking guys about and talking about once spring training starts. These these new rules, the pitch clock, the shift ban, uh, the new rules about stepping off the rubber and, and to a, a lesser degree, but certainly still involve the larger bases. I think we are about to see an incredibly different game of baseball here in 2023. And it, and it should have a lot more action involved. That's been the uh, the point of a lot of these rules changes from Major League Baseball. Uh, more to get to here. I told you about a White Sox rumor that we have to get to, some spring training invites, some fun names, and some World Baseball Classic stuff as well. I'm Connor McKnight. This is White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's home for sports. On app. The ESPN Chicago app. In HD. FM 100.3 HD2. And of course on AM. ESPN 1000. This is White Sox Weekly. You can stay up to date on all things White Sox by following the team's official social media accounts. Don't miss a minute of the action on and off the field. Stay funky, stay fresh. Follow the White Sox on social media today. They are at White Sox everywhere you social media. I'm Connor McKnight. We're closing it up here on White Sox Weekly. We are uh, in our last show of January, which means we are in our last show of the year uh, without baseball in the month. It's a lot of caveats, but you're used to that in baseball, right? I, I love when I get to do a pregame show and mention that, like, uh, a hitter is it's like from little big league right charlie you're too young to have seen that movie i would imagine but maybe you've seen it on mlb network they play it a lot so. it's great it's fantastic it's the one where the kid's grandfather owns the twins and he passes away but gifts the team to his son i'm familiar with this premise i haven't seen that but i've i've definitely yeah i so, know yeah and then the kid names himself manager. I believe Dennis Farina, Chicago native, uh, was the manager at the time, and, and the players didn't like him. Uh, R.I.P. Dennis Farina, just a fantastic character actor. So anyway, he acts as Farina and then becomes manager himself. So, you know, they get to do that whole thing. And in that movie, one of the broadcasters loves to bring up quotes like, you know, on Tuesdays in September, with a full moon on the rise, Ramirez is hitting 333. You know, like it's it's just it's a running bit throughout the movie, and I just smile every time because it's so baseball-y, right? To come up with like a super specific stat that absolutely it tells you absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. It's like the Big Ten stat of the day that you'll oh, see great. sometimes. It's it's absolutely great. It's just terrific. Um, but a couple of things I wanted to get to here. There was a report from uh, Ken Rosenthal, I, I believe, just a couple of days ago that the White Sox had kicked tires the Kansas City Royals about Nicky Lopez shortstop and second baseman uh, to try and see if they could pry him loose from Kansas City I am contractually obligated to mention that Nicky Lopez is from Naperville Illinois and went to Naperville Central that you just you have to say that about a kid who played locally he had a really 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 good 2021 hitting 300 365 on base 378 slug a slappy contact oriented speedy guy with great defense at short for the royals that season over to second base in 22 where he did not have a very good year at all i like the idea of of, you know maybe about being in on a bounce back kind of guy he's 28 years old but it, it doesn't sound like the royals are very interested in moving 
Nikki Lopez, or at least certainly uh, not here before the season starts, perhaps more of a deadline kind of thing. They've got young infielders, rather, Bobby Witt Jr. being one of them, that they're uh, looking to, you know, really kind of establish themselves, the next wave of Royals baseball. They did move on from Adalberto Mondesi, who was a top prospect of theirs. He went to the Boston Red Sox in a trade uh, earlier this week. Uh, That's the rumor. What has what has become fact are some of the White Sox spring training invites. And I want to run through some names and some possibilities here because as the World Baseball Classic is going to kick up in March and run potentially through March uh, 21st, I believe it would be the, the um, uh, championship game. The White Sox announced earlier this week that they agreed to terms with minor league contracts or four minor league contracts with the following right-handed pitcher Keenan Middleton, Jesse Schultens, lefty Nate Fisher, catcher Sebastian Rivero, infielders Hanser Alberto, Eric Gonzalez, outfielders Billy Hamilton, old friend, Jake Marisnik, and Victor Reyes. We reported on some of those names, or there had been reports, and we brought them up here on the show uh, in the last couple of weeks. Hamilton, Marisnik, Alberto, Gonzalez, all guys who have uh, major league time. All nine are non-roster invites to spring training in Glendale, Arizona. Also, from the system, Righties Sean Burke, Declan Cronin, Edgar Navarro, Lane Ramsey, Matthew Thompson, lefties Frazier Ellard, Samuel Peralta, Peralta, Andrew Perez, catchers Adam Hackenberg and Evan Skog, infielders Moises Castillo, Luis Mesas, Colson Montgomery, and Zach Remillard, outfielders Yoelki Cespedes, Oscar Colas, and Adam Hazley all have invites to camp. And, and the reason I think some of these names are, are more interesting than others or, or become more interesting in this season, obviously everybody's going to want to see Oscar Colas play as much as he can in right field because it has been alluded to a number of times, whether it be by general manager Rick Hahn or the manager Pedro Grafal, that Colas has a shot to be the opening day right fielder for the White Sox. He's that kind of prospect. It's the reason they signed him uh, in, the in the international signing process with as high a number as they did. What's also kind of, you know, a little clunky perhaps for Pedro Grafal in his first spring training, but allows some opportunity in some spring training games as well, is the World Baseball Classic has a number of White Sox on it. Dylan Cease opted out of his bid, so he'll be with the Sox in camp. But Aloy Jimenez is on the Dominican Republic team roster. Tim Anderson is on the Team USA roster. Luis Robert and Yoan Moncada are on the Cuban rosters. That team has a little bit of... Questions about who will and will not play, I think, yet that's yet to be resolved. I think a lot of that has to do with the country and the, um, uh, the their process and the national team as well. But they, they are on the roster, you know, Amankata and Luis Robert. But what that also means, you know, just kind of playing down the depth chart. You know, White Sox fans have seen Zach Remillard play a lot of shortstop in spring training games. But Montgomery will be in big league camp, the number one prospect for the White Sox, a top 50 guy. When you look at a lot of, you know, top 60 guy in a lot of different places, for sure. Um, That hopefully means that late in games, White Sox fans are going to see Colson Montgomery play short. Could even get some starts with Tim Anderson on the Team USA roster for at least a week or two. So that's something that uh, one thing you could look forward to in spring training for sure as the White Sox get themselves set for the start of 2023. That's going to do it for us here on White Sox Weekly. Big thanks to Charlie Bevins. Uh, Thanks for calling. We will talk to you next week. Same time, 2 o'clock to 3 o'clock, right here on ESPN 1000.